All right, as the kids are making their way back, let's say a prayer and we'll get started. Father God, grateful that you call us here today, that you bring us together as a family uh, to worship you, to come to you with prayer, with song, and to wrestle. I'm just reminded that the name Israel, the name that you called your people, it means wrestles with God. So uh, for the next few weeks, we're gonna wrestle. So pray that you meet us there. I pray that our wrestling doesn't just happen here, but it goes home with us. That we feel more equipped to understand who you are and who you're calling us to be and more equipped to tell that story to others. So we pray all this in your name and all God's people said. Amen. So there's a lot of chaos going on in the world, obviously. Um, and there are many objections because of the chaos people see in the world every day. There's just a lot of objections that people from outside the Christian faith have about the Christian faith. Just the problem of evil and suffering. And some people feel like there's this debate between science and religion, all of these issues that can come up. And if we're honest, I think that we wrestle with some of these ourselves. You see, the truth is that God has revealed himself to us through scripture. He's revealed himself to the fullest in the person of Jesus Christ, the most fullest revelation that we can understand. But in so many ways, y'all, God is still just a mystery. There's so much about God and his ways and his plans. So much is just unknowable. And it is so frustrating. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I just wanna know. Like I wanna be able to answer the questions. I wanna be able to answer the big questions in life. I wanna know how the universe works. I just, last Thursday, I finished reading through the book of Romans with uh, our retired men. And I wanna show you how chapter 11 ends. Chapter 11 says this. It says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Little biblical literacy quiz. Most of that is a quote from many parts of scripture, but there's one part in particular that every line comes from. Does anybody know what book that might be? Man, nobody wants to shout it out. I was hoping you might be brave because I know some of you know it. It's from the book of Job. Who are we to understand the wisdom and the knowledge of God? We're gonna see that in just a couple weeks. You see, the truth is that we are creatures that are bound by our limitations. And we are trying to understand a God that is beyond all limits. So this week, we're gonna start asking a question. We're gonna ask the question, what about? Now, especially like in our modern argumentative culture, that usually is used to change the subject when you're trying to win an argument. But we're not gonna do that. We're gonna spend the next six weeks dealing with difficult things. And throughout Lent, we're gonna wrestle with the question, what about betrayal, our enemies, powerlessness, injustice? And today we start with what about suffering? So anytime we start to wrestle with an idea, I always like to go back to the garden. We did this in January uh, when we began our series on stewardship. We went back to Genesis 1 and 2. And in order to understand suffering biblically, we need to do the same thing. We need to go back to Genesis 2 and 3. And I'm grateful that Beth set us up for that really well. Genesis chapter 2, 
the end of the creation story, it ends with this verse. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's how the creation story in Genesis 2 ends. And it sounds like a summary statement, everything's good, all is well. No drama. Creation is ordered, it's as it's supposed to be. The man and the woman live together. There's no issues between them. There's no separation between the humans and their God. Everything's cool. That's actually not why that verse is there. That simple verse, that they were naked and felt no shame, it's a setup. It's a clue that something really dramatic is about to happen. So if you wanna open your Bibles on your devices, in the Pew Bibles, it's really easy to find. We're gonna read some of Genesis 3. It's like the third page, probably, in your Bible. Um, so you're welcome to open that up, or you're welcome just to listen. Um, this is a familiar story. Sometimes it's good just to hear it read over you. So this is Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees, sorry, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And you may not notice this if you're not familiar with the story, but right there, Eve did something for the very first time. She told a half-truth because that's actually not exactly what God said. He didn't say they couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. So already something's going sideways. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Um, on Wednesday nights, my class uh, has been learning how to read the Bible well. We've been getting some tools for how to read this literature well. Uh, we're using this video series from the Bible Project to guide us. Um, and a couple weeks ago, I gave them some homework. I usually don't do this, uh, but I asked them to go home and read Genesis one through three, but to read it out loud to themselves once a day, every day for a week. Kind of awkward, right? It's actually how the Bible's supposed to be read. Out loud and over and over and over. So then I told them that when they finished reading for the day, all I wanted them to do was write down all their questions. Don't go digging for answers. Just what questions come out of the reading of the text? Acknowledge those questions and then go back and do the reading again the next day. So I did this along with them. A couple days into the process, uh, I noticed something that I've never noticed before. Uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, everything that God made was called what? There you go. A lot of easier than that Job question, right? <laughs> yeah. okay, there you go. So if you've read those stories... Who is it that knows that things are good and that says that everything is good? God. God is the one who knows and declares that things are good. In Genesis 1 and 2, so far in the story, God defines what's good. So look at this, verse 6. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was what? Good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Do you see what she did? Even before she took the fruit and ate it, she's assuming the role of God. By taking on a role that was reserved only for him so far in the story. She assumes the role of God and declares for herself what is good. She begins to define the good for herself. You see, the story in chapter three, it's about a journey. It's about this journey that a man and a woman choose to take. It's a quest in search of wisdom, the right to define for themselves what is good and what is evil, to determine for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And it's a journey that they choose to take without God. Now, the irony in this story is that once their eyes were opened, and that's a Hebrew idiom, it doesn't mean they were blind before, it just means they now saw in a new way. Once their eyes were opened, what was once good, it was good that they could stand naked and unashamed in front of each other and in front of God. That was good. What was once good now brings them shame. In trying to be more like God, what did they realize? They realized that they're not even like each other. So they hid themselves in shame. What was good is now experienced as bad. Knowing both good and evil, now these humans can't even tell the difference between the two. And that's a curse. And that's the journey that every human from then until now and until Christ returns, that's the journey that we are all on. And it is a quest that has gone terribly wrong. We've lost our way. You ever hear anybody today say that we should be able to define for ourselves what's right and wrong? We can't tell the difference between what's good and evil anymore. That's a curse. If only they trusted him. If only we trusted him. And the reality is that that lack of trust in a good God to provide good things, both in the garden and in us today, that lack of trust, it brings with it disastrous consequences, things that God never intended for us. So listen to this. This is later on in chapter three and verse 16. It says, to the woman, God says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful, painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule that over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat plants of the field. If you remember a couple weeks ago, when we were put in the garden, we were put there to do what? To work. Work isn't the curse. The curse is now what that work is gonna be like. The stuff you're made to work is gonna start protecting itself from you. And it'll be painful. It's gonna to hurt to do what I made you to do. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
Now, in some of our modern English translations, this little section has a heading that says the curses. So rabbis throughout history, they've talked about these verses not only as the curses. Sorry, I didn't mean to rhyme. There's no other way that could have gone, gone together. They call these not just the curses. They call these the consequences. God didn't intend this for us. But now he's describing for us what life will be like now that we have decided to define for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. These are the consequences for trusting ourselves to define good and evil, for not trusting that God is good and that he will provide every good thing that we need. That simple decision has disastrous and terrifying consequences, consequences to us that feel like a curse. All right, so look, I wanna be really careful today. And this might frustrate some of you. (laughs) But I'm not here to give you a simple answer to the question, what about suffering? There's not one. Right, like how could I? How could any of us give a simple answer to that question? When someone asks if God is good, then why does he allow suffering? Or why does God allow good people to suffer? The only honest answer that I can give right away that I know for sure is, I don't know. I don't know why God allows suffering. And I don't know why God doesn't always end evil and suffering when he clearly has the power to. There's a lot that I don't know. But I do know where it started. Our suffering didn't start in Genesis 1 and 2. It started in Genesis 3. The consequences, the curse that comes with our lack of trust in God, that's where the story starts. That is the story of a world in which creatures come to believe that they know more than the creator. I mean, just think about this rationally. The things that were created think that they're better equipped than the one that created them to define what's right and what's wrong, to define good and evil. And y'all, a world like that just doesn't work. And the truth is, that is now the world that we live in. All of our suffering is rooted, hear that word, not caused, but rooted in this story. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna see how this and other issues like betrayal and injustice, how they play out through scripture, and we will spend some time in that really profound book called Job. So there's a ton more to say about this in the weeks to come, and I really hope that you guys will engage with this during Lent. But for today, I just wanna start by saying this about suffering. Y'all, we know how it started, and we also know how it ends. You have heard me quote this too many times to count, but listen to this again from Revelation 21. Like, close your eyes and receive it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. 
We know where this started in a garden that was twisted and torn apart by our lack of trust that God is good, that God will provide for our good. But that garden becomes a holy city where God is once again with his people, where the consequences of our lack of trust in God, that suffering and that pain, it will be no more. So you've heard that passage from me a million times. Listen to this from the next chapter. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations and no longer will there be any curse. It ends. It ends. And then in verse six, the angel says to me, these words are trustworthy and true. So y'all, I don't know why good people suffer. Um, And look, we could try to simplify it by saying, well, there are no good people. (laughs) I mean, I get that, that's true. But that's actually not always useful. Like, yes, in our sinfulness, we bring some things upon ourselves. But y'all, that's not helpful when you're sitting at the bedside of a sick kid. That's not helpful to the grandmother who this morning is trying to flee Ukraine. What are you gonna do? Tell her, yeah, I'm sorry, but you know, just deal with it. We're all sinners. No. Many of you have been praying for my father-in-law for the past two years because he's battling pancreatic cancer. I don't know why God doesn't end my father-in-law's suffering. I don't know why he hasn't cured his cancer yet. I don't know why God is choosing not to intervene in this war or the next. How can I know the mind of God? But I believe, I have become convinced that God is good and that even in the midst of all of that chaos, he intends to provide for our good. And I believe that he will end wars and he will end cancer. Maybe in this life, God does work to provide healing and hope even now when it's according to his will. So maybe he ends suffering in this life. He's certainly able, and I know many of you know those stories. You are some of those stories. But we also might have to wait until we're restored and by his side. But what I do know is that in the end, we will be healed. There's a lot I don't know, but, but I do know where the suffering started. I know when the suffering ends. And I know how we get from that broken and twisted garden to God's holy city. And this is the scandalous truth of scripture. It's a stumbling block for people who just can't understand it. Because the God of the universe, our good God, stepped into that mess to build the road, to provide the way, to build the bridge from that garden to the city. And imagine all the different ways he could have done it, right? He could have snapped his fingers, simply undone all the wrongs that we have done. But he doesn't do that. He could have stripped us of our free will. 
He could strip us of our choice to reject him. He could disallow us from turning away from him, but he doesn't do that. There's gotta be like some factory reset button on creation, right? Like he could just flip the switch, try again, and hope that this time we choose to be good. He didn't do that. He could give us rules and he could ask us to obey them so that we are good enough to save ourselves. He didn't do that either. God didn't make a way from the garden to the city by ridding the world of chaos and suffering. He made a way by entering into the chaos and suffering himself, by being in it with us. Jesus made a way by taking that suffering on himself. And y'all, this is scandalous because there's no religion or faith or system of thought that makes these claims, that makes the claims that we make about suffering and evil. And you see, rather than even attempting to answer our question about suffering and evil, an answer that y'all we could never comprehend, instead of giving us an uncomprehendable answer, what does God do? He gives us a physical solution to the problem. He doesn't mess with us on a theoretical level. He gets practical and he gets down in the dirt and he does something about it. Through the person of Jesus, he entered into this broken world and he made our pain his own. Tim Keller founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. He retired not too long ago. You guys have heard me talk about him before. Um, So he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer also. Um, And that was just two months after everything shut down because of the pandemic. As he's gone through a season of personal suffering, it's obviously led him to think more about this issue. Now, back in 2013, he wrote a book about suffering and death. And this season has led him to rethink it. But what he says is, I haven't learned anything new. I've just been thinking about it again. (laughs) Because what what I knew then is still true now. So I want you to hear what he said. This is from a podcast last May, so that's like nine months ago, but that was one year after his diagnosis. He says this, he says, Jesus has a body and even now resurrected and glorified, that body has the nail prints of his crucifixion. That's why Hebrews says, you have a savior that has experienced everything you are experiencing. Have you had a child abandon or reject you? God has, like billions of times. Have you ever been betrayed by one of your best friends? Jesus was. Have you ever been in like a really unfair situation and faced like real injustice? Jesus did. Have you ever faced a certain and painful death? Jesus did. And y'all, this can go on and on. That's what the book of Hebrews says. It tells us that we go to him because he knows, because he's been through it. And none of that is meant to minimize your suffering. This is a profound reminder that anything and everything we've suffered that God in Christ chose, chose and chooses to join you in the middle of it. 
So that's just the first part. Keller goes on to say this next. He says, you also have a God who is going to heal it. If Jesus really rose from the dead, if he really, really rose from the dead, if the teaching of the gospel is true, then everything is going to be okay. In the end, everything is going to be okay. He is saying, my wife is going to be okay, even if it's without me. He says, my cancer is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. So for right now, I'm holding on to him tight because everything is going to be okay. Now that would sound really dismissive and trite if it wasn't coming from somebody who is deep in the middle of personal pain and suffering every single day. Now he's a pastor. This is a man who's gifted with incredible wisdom. This is a guy that students 100 years from now are gonna be reading and studying. But he's not the only one who's come to this conclusion. He's one of many. He can say this because he knows that the only way for any of us to tolerate this question the question of suffering is that we can't talk about God when we ask the question. We have to talk to him. We have to make that decision to trust him even in the middle of it, to find our hope in Jesus and to seek out the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Because on our own, y'all, we are never gonna be able to reason our way around it. We will never be able to fully understand it. We will never in this life get a satisfactory answer to the problem of evil and suffering. It is simply beyond our ability to understand. It requires a wisdom that we just don't have. But God, in that wisdom, he chose not to provide us with an answer. Instead, he gave us a solution. When somebody outside the church um, asks me about evil and suffering, I actually don't start in the garden because that's not their story. They don't understand it. They're not gonna be able to get past the talking snake, right? <laughs> like, we're not gonna get through that story without stopping like a million times along the way. So I don't start in the garden with somebody who doesn't embrace that story. I just say, I don't know. <laughs> but I do know that God has taken my suffering and he has used it for good. I know the story of my own suffering. It's a pretty good story. <laughs> and then I just ask him if they're willing to hear it. That's it. Y'all, we're not inviting you or trying to train you to be like theologians and philosophers who can answer these unanswerable questions. All we're asking you to do is just, just reflect when you're dealing with the problem of suffering, reflect on your own suffering. Look throughout your life, what has God done with it? How has he used things that in the moment you cannot imagine anything good will ever come from this? Can you look back years later and see that he did something? He did something remarkable. And when you can make that connection, just tell somebody. They may not listen to your preaching, but they will listen to your story. And that's a really good place to start. So this is just the beginning of a conversation we're gonna have for the next six weeks. 
This is the foundation. And week by week, this will get more and more practical. But for this week, can we trust that God is good? Do we believe that he will provide for our good even in the midst of a world that's full of suffering? Can we rely on the work that Jesus has done that frees us from the curse of sin and death? And can we turn to the Holy Spirit to guide us on the journey, not that we choose for ourselves, but on the journey that God intends for us? So I hope we can do this together for the next six weeks. Amen? Let's pray. I do, God, I do wish that you would just give us the answers. <laughs> just be honest. I wish that I could have a conversation with somebody who doesn't know you or doesn't understand who you are or who we are. And I wish just in one simple conversation, I could convince them and then go on to the next one. But just that's not how it works. So God, over these next six weeks, just guide us. Be in this conversation with us. Help us to really wrestle, to be willing to ask hard questions, even if it means doubt, but to take those questions and to take our doubt to you. To not talk about you, but to talk to you. Give us the courage and the strength to do it. And equip us so that we can be a people who can just honestly share the story of what you have done with others. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.